Thank you, Ethan. And by the way, Ethan's going to be speaking this afternoon at Silver Creek. And so if you are interested in hearing him, I know he'd love to have you come and listen to him as he preaches this afternoon. We're proud of him and all of our young folks. And it's an amazing thing that someone, and I'm not saying that he's young, but he's young. But nonetheless, uh, to be willing to do that, uh, listen, my hat's off to him. I could have never done that at his age. Never would have done that. He really does. And so we appreciate him and all of our young folks. We're looking today, this afternoon, at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. I invite you to turn there in your Bible in just a minute. It's been a good day. We appreciate the fact that we got a new elder, and we're happy to have Carrie. And we appreciate him and his willingness to serve, and we pray that God will richly bless him and Sue and Billy and Connie and Dio and Donna. And we look forward to working with them, and we appreciate their leadership and their desire to serve in this capacity. We're talking this afternoon about the inspired scriptures. In our lesson this afternoon, what we really want to do and what I hope, hopefully and prayerfully will do in the next few weeks, I want us to get back to the basics. There's something to be said for the basics. In just a very short period of time, individuals that play Major League Baseball will be meeting once again to start going through the basics. They're going to begin just learning the fundamentals once again. And really, it says to me, you can never get too old to just reinforce the basics. So we're going to be talking about some of the basics. And we're not talking about hitting and fielding and running bases, but rather we're talking today about the basics as they relate to the Scriptures. So I want to begin by first and foremost, calling attention to this passage of Scripture that has been penned by the hand of the Apostle Paul. I know that there are a lot of folks in the world today that in their mind, the Bible is just another book. But I submit to you today that the Bible is not just another book, but it is the book of all books. There's something that separates this book from every other book that has been written. And really what we want to examine in our study this afternoon has to do with the inspired scriptures. Boy, apologize there. Uh, lost my voice there for a second. All right, let's just try to redo that. <coughs> Excuse me. So we're going to be talking about the inspired scriptures. I hope you can bear with me. hope my voice will hold out. But we're going to talk about the inspired scriptures and the fact that the Bible is on a higher plane than any other book. So number one, I want to talk about the fact that this book that we call the Bible is from God. Now Paul said all scripture, some translations may read, Every scripture is inspired of God. And the idea is that the scriptures are God-breathed. The source of this book that we call the Bible is Almighty God. 
You remember Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1 tells us in verses 3 and 4 that God has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And really all he's saying is that everything necessary for life in Christ and godly living has been revealed. Jude identifies the faith, that system of truth that has been once for all delivered to mankind. Now Peter said no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. The prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. But rather Peter said holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. In other words, they were born along by the Holy Spirit. I think David captures the essence of what we're talking about in 2 Samuel chapter 23 at verse 2. David said, The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and His word was on my tongue. God has given us... Thank you, Brother Billy. Okay, Brother Billy to the rescue. Thank you. So where was I? That's right. His words were on my tongue. That really captures the essence of what we're talking about. That this book is God-breathed. Now again, there are many, many people in the world today they fail to understand and appreciate that this book comes to us from Almighty God. Imagine if you can, some 40 different writers pinning words that fit together over a period of about 1,500 years. And the beauty of that is that every single book goes hand in glove. The Old Testament and the New Testament are so woven together that we get a complete picture of the mind of God when it comes to our redemption. There are things that we can know based upon what we see. There is evidence for a Creator. But the only way that I can know the mind of the Creator is for God to reveal that. You remember Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 said, Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has entered into the heart of man those things that God has prepared for them that love Him. But God has revealed them to us by His Spirit. And Paul said, The Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul makes an interesting statement in his letter to the church at Ephesus. You remember he identifies himself as a prisoner of the Lord. And Paul was in a Roman prison when he penned this book. The time frame was about A.D. 61 or 62. There are four prison epistles. But Paul said that he received revelation from God. And he took that revelation and wrote it down in a few words. 
He said, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. How many people in our world today have various questions that relate to life? Now we talk about this book comes to us from God. That this is the God-breathed book or Bible. I know where I came from. I know what I'm doing here. I know where I'm going. How do I know that? Not by mere feelings, but rather I know it because I have divine evidence. Evidence that comes to me from Almighty God. And so to understand that God has revealed His Word to us. And Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 at verse 2, or rather in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, makes it abundantly clear that every single word is inspired. Not only are we talking about the inspiration of Scripture, but the inerrancy of Scripture. There are no errors in the 66 books of the Bible. Everything that the Bible has to say about history is true. Everything that the Scriptures have to say about geography, likewise true. Everything that the Bible has to say about medical science, again, it's true. Well, why? Because it comes from a divine, pure source. And that source is God. Now, there's a second thing. First, to understand that the Scriptures are from God. But secondly, the Scriptures are for our good. Now look again at what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3. All Scripture is inspired of God. Now listen to what he says. And is profitable. The word profitable there means it is beneficiary to us. That the Word of God is intended to benefit us, which says something about the intent of Scripture. You remember Jeremiah many years ago in Jeremiah chapter 10 said, It's not in man that walks to direct his own steps. Now I know that there are people in our world today, they view the Bible as some type of binary code that would prohibit or prevent them from, in their words, enjoying life to its fullness. And so in their minds, God's Word is restrictive. It prevents them from enjoying the various things of life, but I don't believe that at all. I don't think that God ever intended for the Scriptures to be burdensome to us or to restrict us from enjoying the fullness of life. But rather, God, His intent was to provide us with a pattern, if you please, that will bless our lives. Think about it like this. If we were to just take the teaching of the Bible and begin honoring what the Bible has to say, would we be better people? Would the world that we live in, would this be a better nation? It would be, wouldn't it? I don't think there's any way you could even question that. Now look at 
some of the problems that we face in our nation. In many respects, the home is falling apart. There are homes all across our country that have grave problems. You've got homes that lack guidance, discipline, direction. Homes that lack genuine love and appreciation. The Bible's the book that corrects that. The Bible is the book that will help us to enjoy marriage and the family itself. If you want to be a better husband, read the Bible. If you want to become a better wife, read the Bible. If you want to become a better neighbor, again, just read the Bible. Paul in Titus chapter 3 talks about the time when he said, and he's speaking of himself as well as others, he said, we were hateful and we hated others. Is there a problem with hatred in our world today, in our country? Are there people in our nation today that are prejudiced? That look at people in a skewed way because they don't necessarily fit the profile that they think they ought to fit? Well, how do you correct that? The way you correct it is you go to the Word of God and you see that we have been made in the image and the likeness of Almighty God. To understand, as Paul said on Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17, that from one blood, one source, God has made all nations of men to dwell on the face of the earth. Doesn't matter if you're black, white, or polka dotted. If you're cut, you bleed the same, don't you? Why? Because we're all a part of God's family. So God's Word is intended to help us. One of the reasons why folks have trouble in this world is they want to follow their own intuition. Well, I just feel this, or I think this. Look, your feelings may be skewed. Your thought process might not coincide with what God's Word says. And what we're saying is that there is a standard. When Jesus taught that great Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, oftentimes we make reference to the golden rule. Now, if we were to take the golden rule... Apply that to how we live and interact with other people. Would we have a problem with theft? Violence? Would there be carjackings? Murder? Well, why? Because we're trying to treat other people like Jesus, the master teacher, said in the long ago. Look, this isn't rocket science. I mean, you've got folks that are sitting in academic circles and they're studying human behavior. And they're trying to provide an analysis for why people do what they do and why they think like they think. All we've got to do is go back to the Bible. That, that sounds simplistic, doesn't it? 
You know, sometimes forward progress, forward progress is a good thing. But if we want to go forward, what we really need to do is go back to the Bible. That's it, back to the Bible. If you want to eradicate the problems that we face in this nation and around the world, it's back to the Bible. As simple as that. Now, you know, imagine if you had an audience with leaders all around the world and they were to ask you, okay, you know, we're having some major, major problems in our nation. Problems with how people treat one another and how people view one another and so on. So what we're asking you is, what's your recommendation? I can tell you what my recommendation would be, same as yours. Go back to the Bible. Now that seems elementary, but it's true. God's Word is true. Now you take a simple, fundamental statement made by Jesus in John chapter 13. When the Lord said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. What would the world be like if we all loved one another genuinely from the heart? Can you imagine if we loved one another as Jesus loved us? Because he said, he prefaced that by saying, a new commandment I give to you. That you love one another as I have loved you. All right, Lord, how then did you demonstrate love to us? Sacrificially? Selflessly? What if we demonstrated that same kind of love? Would it alter the behavior of people in the world today? And the answer is a hundred times over, yes, yes, yes. Now there's a third thing I want to share with you. Number one, the Scriptures are from God. Number two, the Scriptures are for our good. But number three, let's look at the idea of the Scriptures being for our guidance. Now Paul said, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And then he's going to use some terms that will help us to understand the instructive nature of Scripture. He said the Word of God is profitable first and foremost for doctrine. The doctrine that I follow, not the doctrines and precepts of men, but rather my goal is to submit my life to the teaching of Christ. You know, the Bible is the standard, and Jesus' teaching is the standard by which we're to live. And to understand that Jesus said that one day we're going to be judged on the basis of this standard. Thus, it would only stand to reason that I try to fill my mind with God's Word so that I can make proper decisions in this life. Now think about doctrine from two standpoints in the preaching and teaching of God's Word. The Word of God is intended, number one, to save us. Number two, to keep us saved. Which says to me that first and foremost, God's Word is powerful. 
And that's exactly what Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. When the apostle Paul stood before the elders of the church from Ephesus while he was in Miletus, you remember he told those folks about the danger of impending apostasy. That there would be some that would arise among them and leave the faith. But he said, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up. The word able there, the very same word is found in Romans 1.16 when it comes to power. So God's word has the power, the ability to save us. God's word has the power or the ability to build us up and keep us saved. But there's a second idea. First, God's Word is powerful. Number two, it is provocative. God's Word is intended to evoke a response from those who look into the perfect law of liberty. Now you remember the Hebrew writer said that this book that we call Scripture, that it's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And all the writer is saying is that God's Word serves to critique how we're living. So when we talk about doctrine, looking into that perfect law of liberty, is it possible for me to analyze my life in light of what the Scriptures teach and then draw some conclusions? If I'm going to stay on track in life, I've got to stay with the teaching of Christ, don't I? It was said of the early church in Acts 2 verse 42 that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That is, in their teaching. Sound doctrine, all that means is healthy doctrine. Well, we want to be healthy spiritually, don't we? So if we're going to maintain spiritual health, we've got to stay with the teaching of Christ. So he said, God's Word is profitable for doctrine and then for reproof, which is an interesting word. It means to censor, to chide, to show one his or her fault with compelling evidence. Now let me ask you this question. Would it be possible for me to take this book and sit down with someone and teach them from a compelling vantage point? They have a real problem in life called sin. That this book teaches me, it teaches us, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the remedy for sin is Jesus. Can I make that case? Well, sure I can. Can I make the case in a compelling way that this is what the Bible has to say about what you must do in order to become a child of God? Can I do that? Can I do it effectively? 
I'm not talking about feelings and thoughts and what people think and what people say. I'm talking about this is what the Bible teaches. I can do that based upon what God's Word says. If somebody has the idea that, you know, they can just be baptized into Christ and then just live as they please. There are no boundaries, no exceptions. Can I show somebody from the Scriptures that, look, you missed the boat here. That's not what the Bible teaches. No, Paul said, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And his response was, God forbid, certainly not. Well, why? Because we died to that old way of life. It's called repentance. Dying to the love and the practice of sin. Rising to walk as a new creation in Christ. So you mean to tell me that I've got to live in accordance with the teaching of Christ in order to maintain fellowship with Him? Well, yes. Well, how do you know that? Again, what do I do? I go back to the Bible, don't I? You see, Paul said all Scripture is inspired of God and is profitable for doctrine and then for reproof. But then he uses a third term for correction. And the word correction here really means this, to straighten out, to restore back or to restore to a better condition. You remember in Philippians chapter 2 when Paul said that we're to be blameless and harmless to sons of God in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation? Now what does that say about the world? That's a commentary on the world we live in, isn't it? Paul said it's crooked and it is perverse, all right? If somebody's living a crooked and perverse lifestyle, how then can I help them? Go back to the book. I'm here to try to help you straighten your life out. You ever know somebody that's had a problem with drugs? You ever had a family member that's had a drug problem? I have. Had a family member that was sent to a rehab center. It's been years ago. And fortunately, he got straightened out. But in order for somebody to be helped who has a problem, first and foremost, they've got to understand they've got a problem. And so sometimes you'll hear people say, well, you know what, I just wish he, or, I just wish he would straighten his life out. Or I wish that she would straighten her life out and get back to doing what's right. Is that possible? You remember in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul said that one of the goals of reaching out to people who have been taken captive by the devil to do his will is to correct them. And Paul said so that they might come to their senses. Are there people in our world today that, quite frankly, need to be straightened out? They're on a dangerous path. Their life is out of control. 
They're just living as they please, doing as they please, and they got a mountain load of problems? Sure. Well, how then can I help them? I've got, again, I've got to, again, go back to the Word of God, don't I? So he said, God's Word is inspired. It's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and then he said, for instruction. The idea here is that the Word of God is intended to be instructive or to train. God's Word is intended to train the mind. Do you know where temptation takes place? On about a six-inch piece of property between your ears. That's where the battle is. So if our if our thinking is changed, our behavior is changed, isn't it? And that's the goal. One writer said with regard to instruction that not only does it mean to train the mind, but also to train, more, to train morals, to train someone morally speaking. It doesn't take a genius to realize we got some folks in our nation and in our world today that have no morals. There is absolutely no moral compass in their lives whatsoever. As a parent, when that baby is placed in your arms and you begin the process of being a parent, one of your responsibilities is to train, to teach, and that's the idea here. You see, God's Word is intended to instruct us, to help us get our mind right. That's why Solomon would say, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. You ever heard somebody say, you know what? His thinking is just not right. Or she's not thinking right. You ever heard somebody say that? Well, if somebody's thinking is not right, the question is, is there a standard that will help somebody get their thinking right? And the answer is yes. You know, here's the amazing thing to me about the Bible. God's Word will bless our lives if we'll read it, study it, meditate on it, and apply it. The reason we have problems in the world in which we live is not because we're following the Bible. Or rather, the reason we're facing these problems is because we're not following the Bible. If we would follow the Word of God, I can tell you this right now, this would be a better place to live in. You believe that? The greatest ally the devil has, and this is true individually, collectively, nationally, globally, however you want to put it, his greatest ally is a closed Bible. That's it. You just keep this book on the shelf. Let it collect dust. 
ignore its teaching, refuse to live by it, and I can tell you this, you'll have more trouble than you can say grace over. But now if you'll follow this book and you'll dedicate your life to learning the teaching of Jesus, making application, I can promise you this, it'll bless your life. This morning, we talked about I am a different person in Christ. What I'm trying to say this afternoon is simply this. If we'll take the Word of God and live by it, it will make us a better person. It'll change our lives. All the studies and all the hand-wringing and all the what-ifs What's happening here and why are we in the condition we're in? All goes back to one thing. We're in the condition we're in because we've closed our minds to truth. I want to close by reminding you of something that Solomon said many years ago. In Proverbs 23, 23, Solomon said, Buy the truth and sell it not. Solomon was simply saying, let me tell you what, this is a treasure, a treasure trove. And if you'll invest in this book, this book will invest in you. You want to have a rich life, you want to be happy and content and satisfied and have joy and peace and all the other things that we can talk about from a positive vantage point. Where you get all that? Right out of this book. Now Jesus came to make a difference in our life. In this world. And Jesus came to address the problem that is universal in nature. It's called sin. And He's the only answer. His blood is the only thing that can remedy your sin-sick soul. So what would you need to do to become a Christian? Well, number one, you need to believe that Jesus is who He claimed to be. That's the Son of God. Jesus said, except you believe that I am, He said, you'll die in your sins. And if you die in your sins, the Lord said, where I am, there you cannot come. When we leave this world too late, think about Jesus. We need to be thinking about Jesus and living for Jesus now. Paul said, today's the day of salvation. And then to repent. To realize that, you know what, there's a better way of life. I've tried it my way. I've been doing it the world's way. And guess what? It's not working out. So what I'm trying to do is get my life back in line. So I'm going to repent and say, you know what? That way of life is done, over, gone. And then I'm going to be buried with Christ in baptism. So that I might enjoy the forgiveness of all of my sins. And stand before the Lord pure and just in His sight. And to know that I can have the peace that passes all understanding that my name is written in the Lamb's book of life, that one day when I stand before the Lord, He's going to open that book of life. And guess what? My name's going to be recorded in that book. Your name in that book? Is your name in the Lamb's book of life? If you're a faithful Christian, your name's there. If you're not a faithful Christian, there was a time when your name was in that book. But it's not there now. No, the Lord removed your name. But He will re-enter your name. 
If you'll say, you know what? I've got to straighten my life out. I've got to get my life back in order. James said many years ago, confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another. Could we pray with you and for you? It might be that you're going to resolve right now to begin living a changed life through repentance. And you know, John said if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Won't you come as we stand and sing?